0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to one of my favorite shows to do. We seem to get the band together once every six months or so here. It's Davis Matic, Pete Overzet, a deposit kingdom and take cast crossover with our buddy NFL running back, Tampa Bay running back, Patrick Laird. How are we doing, Pat?
1: Doing well. And just like I said before we started recording, Teddy's probably going to hop up here. So he's looking for a spot to get in my lap, but uh, he'll probably be here the whole podcast. We'll for people, this, this this will be on YouTube, right? So people can see.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think, wasn't, Davis, didn't Teddy make an appearance on the very first podcast we did with Laird back in the day?
1: I want to say,
2: I want to say Pat was trying to keep him out and he was just not yeah. having it. He was just like, yeah. he's just like, no, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I got to get, I got to get up front. Center. See, I can't, I can't let my dogs down here because they would, uh, they, they're just not allowed in the office because they would, uh. They just be up in my business all the time, and I can't, I can't have it. So they know it's, it's off limits. I guess, I guess when you're the assistant to the quarterback, your office uh, you don't really have a home <laughs> office so much. So maybe it's not as big of a deal.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty frequent routine. I just wake up in the morning, get coffee. Teddy starts to, like wake up. He'll come downstairs, and then I sit down on the couch, and he'll hop up on my lap like right away, and we just sit there and hang out for like an hour <laughs> every morning.
0: It's crazy to me. I was just trying to do the math. Like when we did our first show, I mean, one, that was before COVID. Like when we went to the was game it? when you were at, that was, before it was COVID. wow. Yeah, that's how 2019.
1: it was. Yeah. That was my rookie year.
0: So it's been, it's been four years. Uh, it'll be four years in this fall that we did all yeah. of that
1: stuff. Yeah. It's wild. It's, um, it's weird. Cause like people will be like, Oh, like how long have you been playing? And I have to say, I'm going into my fifth season, which is like the most wild thing for me to say. Cause I, I don't know. I don't know how long I expected to play, but just saying going into year five is kind of crazy.
0: It really is. Uh, so yeah, tell us, a, tell us about it, you know, because you, we were trying to get this podcast scheduled and one of the things we were wanting to get it scheduled before is before you headed off to training camp, which what you're heading there Sunday, Monday,
1: Sunday, we report Tuesday. So I'll have a couple days to adjust and then like the first day, it's just like physicals. Um, checking in, some basic meetings. I think we might do a, condi- a conditioning test the first day. So uh, first days, I have a couple days to kind of adjust, um, kind of get used to the humidity. It's been kind of scary reading about these heat waves, um, you know, going across the United States and pretty much the whole world. But um, I'll be ready. I've done four four camps now in Florida humidity. So I think I'm. you can't really get used to it, but you know how to prepare for it.
0: Didn't Miami, like, set the record, like, five days in a row for their highest heat index or something absurd recently?
1: Probably. I mean, the front page of the Wall Street Journal yesterday was this overview of the globe and all the jet streams and why the water temperatures are higher and it's creating all these crazy heat waves. And then um, today there's a, or they actually have it they're spraying down. Wow. And NFL, an
2: NFL running back reading the, the paper, the paper... Copy of the Wall Street Journal.
0: This you fill it out boomer, the crossword later,
2: yeah.
1: or what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, but so it's weird. honestly, it's it's scary because like hospitals and and you know places like in like I think like Phoenix are just like putting people in body bags with ice just to cool them down, which is it's super scary. So everybody be drinking the water and staying safe out there.
2: You know who's who's the real loser? I mean, other than all of our children who are are going to have a limited number of places to live as as the water recedes all over it. Dogs, dogs yeah. can't, dude. They can't like if I, so. Like I, I actually just skipped the gym this morning and just went and took my dog on a long walk at like 6 a.m. because it's like that's it. Like if it's after if it's after like 7:30, it's just like too hot for her to like literally be outside. I mean, imagine wearing what's, a fur coat outside right now.
1: What's the temperature out there? You're in Kansas today City, it's,
2: right? t- Today it's actually not that bad because it's been raining all day. But, like, the last week it's been, like, 98 degrees. And, like, 98 Dang. degrees but humid. Like, just miserable.
1: Yeah. Not you, ideal. You said,
0: you said you have to do a, a fitness test when you get to camp. Is this how we get a blurb that says Patrick Laird is in the best shape of his life if you destroy this fitness test?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. I like to pride myself on being in good shape. So I always do my routine now since like, since mini camp ended, I got the conditioning test, like what it's going to be. And then I just do it every Friday after my workout. So at the end of the week, I know that, you know, when I show up to camp, I'll be well prepared for it. And so um, I didn't do it last year in Tampa because I didn't go at the beginning. I signed in the middle of training camp. So my first couple of years in Miami, it was pretty competitive and I always tried to be one of the. One of the first guys to finish. Um, I remember Miles Gaskin and I were just like going head to head, trying to beat each other on every rep. So that was good. Good memories between him and I. And so we'll see if there's another person like that. What is year out what in, is the in best? Um, the one in Tampa. It's a little bit more mild, I'd say. It's um, they call them like cut. I guess you call them like cut forties, basically like twenty yards and out, twenty yards out, and twenty yards back in like seven seconds something like that or you want to get under seven seconds with like a 30 second break you do that six to eight times then there's a couple minute break and then you do cut thirty-fives, so 35 yards out and back but it's more tempo so it's kind of getting like longer distances but you don't have to go a hundred percent so kind of it's kind of getting a little bit of like sprinting change of direction and then a higher um you know higher end volume with a little bit less intensity so trying to like replicate what Abby you might get in a practice like
2: 600 pounds like Nick Chubb no
1: no <laughs> <laughs> in the NFL like the strength training and the strength testing is a little bit more moderate compared to college I remember in college used to at the end of every training cycle there'd be maxes and they'd be blasting music and guys would be doing smell and salts trying to hit the high weight whereas in the NFL like everybody's strong. Everybody's athletic. So, really, it's just more about injury prevention. And um, guys will still push weight, uh, but they don't like to test us in terms of strength. All
0: right. What's your mindset heading into this year? Because, like, one thing that dawned on me the other day, and Davis and I have collectively drafted hundreds and hundreds of fantasy teams already for 2023. But the <laughs> fact that you are a running back on what I, I assume Davis would agree with me is probably the most wide open running back depth chart in the league, obviously Rashad white, uh, an exciting second year guy, but as far as like kind of the depth there, you know, it does seem like if I could hand pick where I would want to be on a depth chart, I would pick the bucks for my best chance Mm. to get, to get some playing time. Do you feel similar about this this year? Are you comparing like other spots across the league or do you just have your head down, ready to go?
1: Um, I'm, I'm optimistic about my, My chances and my opportunity, I think, yeah, I agree. It's like a great, it's a great place for a good opportunity. Um, You of course have to show up and show that you can play and fill whatever role they want you to fill. Um, I'd say if my guess, I think Rashad's going to be the guy. uh, He did a lot of really good stuff for a rookie last year. And I think he's going to get even better this year. Um, And we signed Chase Edmonds. We have Keyshawn Vaughn and then um, two new rookies. And so um, it's really hard to judge, like a rookie during OTAs because there's no pads; it's just helmets. And so, but those two kids um, that came in, uh, yeah, they look they look good. So, for me, in terms of, like personally, I think I'm just going to try to find a role, um, whether it be special teams, third down. I would love to run the ball, catch the ball, do whatever they want. Um, but it's hard. You can't you can't predict and go in. Oh yeah, I got a really good shot. I'm gonna make the team. You just kind of have to like go find your role. I think that's that's my mindset going into camp.
2: Well, it was different for you last year. I guess I don't know how much do you guys practice special teams. You know, because you were like core four in Miami, but you were on the practice squad last year. So, like, how different is your practice experience when you're because you're? I mean, your positional designation is a running back, right? But like, a lot of what you spent doing in Miami was playing core four so how much does that change like literally your day-to-day of like going in the office like are you doing totally different stuff at practice
1: uh there's like special teams periods and meetings so I'll be in all those um participate in all that um I think it depends on the guy like for me I definitely want to put just as much of an emphasis on special teams as I do on offense whereas a guy that knows they're going to play a ton of offense or a ton of defense doesn't necessarily have to do that and so just me knowing my role i know that i have to put just as much emphasis on special teams as the, the offensive stuff um but in terms of time like it's pretty much dictated like meeting time pretty much everybody's in there like if you're you know a star player that doesn't play special teams you don't have to go to the special teams meetings you go to your position group meeting early and and do that work or go do treatment whatever um but you know, in terms of practice, like pretty much everybody's involved in the special team stuff. Um, so it's not like I have to go, you know, do extra. Um, I mean, I might do a little extra in terms of like studying and, and watching film with special teams. But um, in terms of, like practice time, it's pretty much all set set in place.
0: What's it? Because I would also say with the Bucks too. You know, there's. I would say most of the quarterback situations in the league are like fairly settled. But I would say in Tampa Bay, there's like a legit battle. They bring in Baker Mayfield. Yeah. The team's also been talking up Kyle Trask. Do you? Uh, I know you're not going to pick a side here, but talk to us <laughs> about the uh, the QB situation in Tampa.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun because I don't know if I've ever been a part of like a legit going into training camp. That's got to be a battle. weird
2: feeling in the locker room, right? To not know who the quarterback is.
1: Um I, I don't know if weird is the I think it's just like uh it's just like a topic of conversation, like oh hey, traff's look really good today, oh Baker looked really good today. Um yeah, it's just it's like a topic of discussion. I don't think it's weird. I think we just like we're all so used to competing in our own positions. Right. right. Um you know, there's a a couple positions here and there, like on every team in the NFL, like hey, we know. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are going to be starting receivers for us this year. But there's always that battle for the third spot and maybe a guy trying to get into that second spot. So like every position group kind of knows what it's like to compete for a spot. And so it's just like a nature of the, of the game. I just think at the quarterback, since there's only one quarterback on the field at a time, it's such a heightened thing and such a topic in the media. And so it's a topic in the locker room, but just to say like those two dudes are, they're both really competitive. I think everybody has seen, how competitive Baker is um Kyle is kind of like more of a quiet reserved guy but I think he's just as competitive and he's just he he's always in the in the quarterback film room studying um so it's going to be interesting to see yeah I'm I'm excited I'm I'm cool with I'm cool with both of them um you know maybe if they both end up playing this year that'd be that'd be cool so I don't know I like I have I have just as little insight on it as everybody else but I'm just gonna go out there and, and work with both of them.
0: Cause uh to put it in our in our fantasy lens, because we, you know, we'll draft Chris Godwin, we'll draft Mike Evans, I even take uh Kate Otten, you know, at the end of draft sometimes, but it's hard to uh take which quarterback, right? Because you'd like to stack them up. You want to make a bet on the team when you take those wide receivers early, but then you're sitting there looking, you're like, I, I have no clue if it's gonna be Mayfield or Trask. So often you just don't end up yeah. selecting a Bucks quarterback in drafts.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know, like, we threw the ball a lot in OTAs, and I think that was to get a sense for, you know, where the quarterbacks lined up. Where they were. Yeah, yeah, where they were. with off. And it's a new offense, too. We have a new offensive coordinator, Dave Canales, from Seattle. So you kind of have to figure out, you know, who can understand and, and figure out the past concepts. And then also with OTAs, it's helmets only. So, you know, you don't have pads on. You can't. Really get off and get good push in the run game. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm uh, I'm kind of excited to to just be a part of it and see how it plays out. Of learning from a
2: new offensive coordinator because the verbiage is different, and um, I mean, I assume they're not going to like a zone blocking scheme. So maybe it's not that different. Like, but you you have to learn different pass protections, right? Because like the way they call those are going to be, I guess. It's sort of this thing that's thrown out by people who who think about football but maybe have never played. Like, oh, uh, player X Y and Z has had three. Op- th- this was always said about Sam Bradford that you know he had three offensive coordinate, three different offensive coordinators his first three years, and that would have basically just been impossible. And Baker, actually, they switched his offensive coordinator up three times in his first three years. So, is is it as hard as it sounds? I mean, learning like not only. Not only new plays, but a whole different way to think about round concepts, and and in even different names for the same thing.
1: I think, especially for, for a quarterback, it is for a running back. There's, I mean, there's zone. There's like get, get inside zone, like outside that. zone. Yeah, then there's like uh, power schemes, counter, and they kind of play off of each other. Um, and there's like pin and pull plays. But at the end of the day, it's it's like you get the ball in your hands and you're reading your blockers but you still need to learn the new verbiage. You still need to learn all the concepts. Um, and then the pass protection stuff is that's pretty, there's a certain amount of ways to do it, but the way you call it and the way they point things, it can be different. But once you pick up like the basics, it's easier for a running back um, for quarterback. It's just like, they have so much information they need to process. Like, first of all, they need to just understand where everybody's going to line up because that's really important. So like, there might be a, um, a concept or there might be a formation where it's like trips, right? Like you guys would see trips, right? But hmm. the Y and the Z are switched positions. Huh. And so depending on where the Y and the Z and the F, if it's a trips formation are lined up, you need to know which receiver is going to run a certain route and concept. But if the Y and the Z are flipped from like the inside to the outside, you need, and then it's the same concept. They're going to be – it's different players. or It's the same player, but they're going to be running different routes based on the concept. So they need to process all that. Then they need to look at all the defense. And then they need to worry about the shifts and the motions. And then they need to point out who the O-line is going to block. So they have to process so many different things. And so I understand like when a quarterback has to have a new OC every single year, they have to start from ground level and, and rebuild know that know knowledge, know whereas like a – I mean, I think Joe Burrow, right, he's had the same offensive coordinator the last couple of years, and you just see he has this, like, great command because at a certain point, like, towards the end of the season, you hear a formation, a concept, and you just, like, walk, walk up the line of scrimmage, and it's, like, it's like second nature. But when you start from ground zero, got to, like, think through that whole process again of, like, okay, I know where this guy's lining up. I know this concept. Now I see the defense. Now I know where I'm going to send the O-line for, for pass protection. And so, um, the longer you have that language in your head and are playing within the same system, the better grasp. And the like, the freer you're going you're to be able to play. And then, quarterbacks are all about decision making. So, the less you're having to think through those processes, rather than it being second nature, the better you're, you'll play and the faster decisions you'll you'll make. So, um, but yeah, again, like Baker and Kyle, and then we we signed John Wolford um, from the Rams. Like those three are. They're all pretty John sharp Walford dudes, can, and they're all John Walford can play a little bit. Yeah, you can sling the ball around, and he's smart. Yeah. He's like a definitely a good dude to have in the room. He's one of those guys I think mean, just go up to anytime and be like, Hey, like, why are we calling it like this? Or, you know, who who should we make the mic point on this pass protection? And he usually has the answer pretty quickly.
2: Well, the offense is like actually full of stuff to, to compete with because, like, you know, Kate Otten is a second-year player. It's not like it's not like he is, like, locked in as the starting tight end. And even, like, the third wide receiver, because Russell Gage is still there, but Julio Jones is retired. Like, I, I don't think Russell – I mean, Russell Gage probably in week one is going to be your guys' like, third wide receiver. But, like, there's – feels like if a couple guys had really good camps and the coaches really took notice of it, because there's also got to be – there's got to be this feeling of just like we're we're really starting fresh here without Tom Brady. Like that was like a, a crazy trip that we all just went on with Tom Brady, and now it's yeah. like everything is way different when a guy – I mean, Tom Brady is larger than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady is almost even larger than the NFL. Like he is an entity in and of himself, and now he's mm-hmm. not in that building anymore. Like that's got to just be a total sea
1: change. Yeah, and I think it's it's almost given like a chip on – guys' shoulders on the offensive side of the ball. Like Chris Godwin, I remember, like this offseason, had a couple times where he told the group, like, hey, let's just go surprise people. Like people are routing us off as an offense. They don't think we're going to be anything without Tom. Like let's just go show people that we still have a lot of tools. Like obviously Tom could do so much at the quarterback position, um, but we still have a lot of pieces coming back and a lot of good players. And so I think the idea is like, hey, let's just – let's keep it rolling on offense. Um and show people that, you know, we're better than, than they expect.
0: Well, Laird, I I don't want to bury the lead too much because the reason you reached out to us to come and do this show today is because you are going to announce that you aren't going to be playing under your million dollar salary contract this year. And you're actually going to be holding (laughs) out and demanding more money in solidarity with the other running backs. I mean, the floor is yours.
1: (laughs) Uh, no, the reason I reached out to do the podcast is I just want to catch up with my friends. But um, <laughs> what You guy. guys can put me. You guys can put me on the spot with the uh, the running back uh, market and the news. Okay. The well, I conversation I,
2: I have brainstormed a couple solutions that I've not fact checked with anyone, and I want you to gut instincts tell me how stupid they are or not. Okay. First one, if you're positional designation when you enter the draft, you, you and your agent, you send a card in or whatever, it's running back. You have a two-year rookie contract. Everyone else, same deal, four years uh, with the fifth-year option if you're a first-round pick, but you can only have team control over running back for two years.
1: Thoughts? Yeah, I heard this one. Um, do, do you guys follow like Mike Florio, the PFT yeah. guy, pro football? Yeah. yeah. He was, I was reading something and watching a video that he – put out i think within the last couple days and he kind of went through these different scenarios and he talked about that one um i like that for the reason that guys can take advantage in their prime years of getting so they're they're producing a lot of value on the field a lot of production in their first few years a lot of running backs are showing that um and they can renegotiate their salary based on their first two years of production um which I think, yeah, I think that solves part of the problem. The the flip side to that is like, then teams aren't going to want to use draft capital on a running back. Running so backs early. will
2: for sure be drafted later in this system. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Which kind of that's already taken place. I mean, I think yeah. there's a couple of running backs taken in the first round this year, but for the most part, running backs like the last, you know, five or so years have been going closer to the third to fifth round, like a lot. And then, you see in the fifth to seventh round teams are just snapping, like picking up running backs and then open one of them, you know, turns out to be a a solid player. Um, Yeah. I think that, I think that solves part of the problem in terms of getting your value early in your career while you're the most productive. Um, I'm sure there's, I, yeah, I just, I haven't, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to like talk through all the, the scenarios, but I, I actually haven't even fully, figured out how I feel about all of them because there's probably some unforeseen there's always unforeseen ramifications period. that yes. you yeah that you just can't think of now that Well, you, the, the trade off
2: so the trade-off with this one is very obvious, which would be this this works out for Saquon, this works out for Derek Henry, this works out for Christian McCaffrey. Might not work out so well for Isaiah Pacheco, for Patrick Laird, for Rashad white, even your teammate, you know, they Mm -hmm. might. So, so Rashad white starts this year. He's good, but is not like an all pro like thousand yards, eight touchdowns, but the team decides actually, you know what? He was good, but we can probably find something similar. So let's just let him walk. Right. So it's, it it's, it's actually, it sounds good on its surface, but it's actually really only solving the problem for like maybe eight running backs in the league. And then there are 50 other dudes who end up, with their contracts ending before they wanted it to.
1: Yeah. I know our union like says they like, they try to negotiate on, on behalf of like the typical, like the median player. Um, they do not. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, so if that only solves the problem for the top 10 guys, like, I don't know how much momentum you can get for, for something like that. And like you said, like for a guy that's been solid in his first four years of his, you know, he gets drafted in the, in the, second or third round and he's been solid. He's put up 600 to 800 yards a year. Um, But like you said, at the end of his second year and like his contract negotiation comes up and they only got 600 yards out of him the previous year. Like he doesn't have that two extra years on his contract to prove himself to be like a, a great back in the league and, and get a better, better contract that he might've gotten if he had four years of a resume to, to put out there. So that's, that's an interesting one. Um, the one I kind of liked – so the one that Florio talks about is like – he's like the running back position needs like a separate bargaining unit yes, within so the union or just like you, outside you of the union. You guys got to
2: unionize. There's got to be the, – <laughs> the running backs have to unite.
1: I just – I don't even know how that how that would look and like who would represent us. Would we be – would it be wholly separate from the NFLPA or would it be like a, a division within the NFLPA? Um I just, I don't know how that would look and like who who would be representing us and like talking for us and like would we go to the owner separately? Would we go to manage separate management separately? Um, that one logistically I feel like would just be the hardest to pull off. And like I feel like our union, I don't, I don't know what their, their stance is on that, but I have a feeling that they would try to like block that. They would want every all, every position group to stay together. And once you start branching off, the running backs, then what other position is going to come out? Like, are the linebackers five years from now going to come out and say, hey, we need to take the most beating. We should have our own separate bargaining thing.
2: It it seems insane on its surface. Like, if you were like, oh, no, I seriously think there should be a running backs union," But that's really the way unions work in real life. Like, there are individual charters of, like, you know, for example, I don't know, uh, you know, the the Plumbers Union or whatever. They're individual chapters. But then – even the plumbers union is part of a larger union group as well. Like there are all partitioned yeah. that way. And I know people are, are, so there I'm sure there are some anti-union people listening to the show, but the idea that running backs, it's just, uh, because on the face of it, it's just so absurd that Saquon Barkley could get the ball 30% of the time when the giants snap the ball and that, Sure, maybe the idea that Eric Gray could come in and the Giants would maybe win the same amount of games or whatever, it doesn't it doesn't alter the immutable fact that Saquon Barkley has to get tackled 300 times a year, and that in and of itself is worth something, right? And should be compensated fairly. And yeah. the running backs union, it's, it, I'm, I'm for it.
1: Yeah, the other idea I've seen floated around is like a, a pay for performance thing not based on playtime but based on production Mm. the that one seems attractive to me the only problem i'd see is like our teams are like all right like yeah who pays for it like is it going to come out of the other player performance stuff like are we taking money from other positions because the other the the rest of the players aren't going to like that um is it going to be additional money taken out of the um shared revenue thing um and then from there, it's like, all right. So all running backs are going to be paid on performance now. So then, is everybody? It, then when teams go to bargaining for a, a contract coming up with like a star player, are they going to say, hey, Saquon, we're going to pay you eight million, but with this new player performance bonus that you have the potential to get if you get a thousand yards and you get ten touchdowns, now you're going to get an additional seven million or whatever it is. So you have the potential to make fifteen million. And everybody, every running back's like contract, what they could have gotten in in the market without this player performance thing will go to a lower, their base salary will go to a lower level. Um, I could see that happening. That's kind of like the downside of it. So I don't know how they would structure it. It's, I think it's so complicated and, um, but it's going to be an interesting thing. And then, I don't know if you guys saw the group the group chat of running backs. I guess there's like a yeah. group chat of running backs. For whatever reason, I wasn't added to it. I yeah, don't know why? why what
2: is what did oh. does Derek Henry not have your number, dude?
1: I guess not. Someone needs to hit him up and, and add me to that, that group chat and I could I can throw my ideas out there. But what? no, it's um it's a tough thing and it's it's weird because it's like guys are they're paid so well, right? Like everybody in the NFL is paid so well. So it's like a weird, like it's it's a problem that like almost no one is going to feel bad for people. You know, it's like, Oh, you're turning down 10 million because you believe you're worth 15. But, um, at the end of the day, like at any, any job you have people want to be paid what they believe they're worth. And so I'm 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 sympathetic
2: with the billionaire over the millionaire does not make you the moral warrior of, of justice and fairness in the universe that you think it does like Labor yeah. always deserves to be compensated fairly. Like just because you have capital doesn't necessarily mean that you should keep it all. I, 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 always find that like, cause of what you just said, like there, I'm sure there's some dude out there who's like, he should just be happy to be making money, playing a kid's game. Like how dare he? But then like, no one wants to analyze the fact that the giants could sell for $8 billion tomorrow night if they wanted to, like, it's so absurd.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how do you, like, if you put yourself in the shoes specifically of say Barkley or Jacobs right now, and you know, Barkley just went on a podcast the other day and had some pretty pointed words about kind of saying like, what's my leverage right now? And I think that's the problem, right? They don't actually have a lot of leverage. Are they going to sit out, not take 10 million, get older, you know, have the potential to get replaced because the team moves on. Like it's a really tough spot. Like if you were in that spot and thought you deserve more money like, how do you play it? Because some of the holdout stuff to me always feels kind of like saving face. Like, I want to show you that I deserve more, but like, ultimately I'm going to come and put the pads on and play and collect my checks.
1: Yeah. It's, it's so hard for me to put myself in that position because I'm in the position where like, I'm happy. Cause I, I I'm on a league minimum this year and it's, it's over a million dollars. So it's like me personally, I'm completely fine with playing for that. Which I don't know if I should say because it kind of I don't know that that it's it's a weird thing because it's like this whole like the depressed market for running backs. It might be good for me because I'm a guy that can show up and I'll play for the league minimum, and I'm super. I'm 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 like I'm super happy to do that. And so
2: the Giants trading a conditional seventh round pick for Patrick Laird because they.
1: So yeah, it's it's like a weird thing for me to like try to empathize with um but i get yeah like i think jc Treder. i don't know if you guys saw this like that the, the nfl pa president um current president um for the players he was on a podcast or some interview or something recently and he floated the idea he's like i can't really publicly recommend this um, but he's like i could see some guys gaining leverage by showing up and having some sort of like injury that happens and then like teams can't really prove if they're really experiencing that and they just show up do what they can at practice or rehab or whatever but then they don't play because they're injured um it seems like it's gotten to the point where some guys have might feel like that's their last resort um i don't know personally if i would do that um but yeah it's like it's it's a weird thing for me it's like if teams are looking for cheap running backs, then I'm one of the dudes that'll step up and be a, a cheap running back. Um, so I, I, that's why I feel like we need to be creative with some sort of solution to get guys compensated in a fair way for the production they put on the field and for their team. Like, you, it's hard to argue that Saquon didn't help the Giants win more games than they would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's very likely that he impacted a few wins um, versus losses last year. And so a guy like him is going to want to, you know, get compensated for that.
0: That's even one of the problems then kind of with like the running back union idea, right? Because there's different running backs within that strata that, you know, have different goals and desires or realistic outcomes that optimizing for what's best for, say, the top 10 running backs in the league might not be what's best for the other, you know, remaining set of running backs.
1: Yeah, like a guy that might be set to make, you know, he'll get like a league minimum. So like he'll get like a million and then he might get like a $500,000 signing bonus. Like he'll be due 1.5 this year. But then you get into a situation where we bargain on behalf of the top 10 and the team has to end up paying a guy 15 million that year. So now that 1.5 that this second string guy was due or likely to make now the team's like, well, we can only afford to do him give him a minimum with no with no guaranteed salary, so he's just going to have to make the team. So first-string running back is going to get all the guaranteed money, and then two, three, and four just have to make the team on the on the league minimum. So I don't, I don't know how it plays out. I mean, maybe there's something where everybody can kind of win. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of – it's an interesting it is, thing. It's going to be interesting also, how it plays out.
2: It is also harder with quarterbacks making so much money, right? Like, the – Burrow and Mahomes and I guess Burrow not yet but Burrow very soon. These guys take up like Mahomes is less because of the way he structured his but a lot of these guys are taking up 30% of a team's salary cap and when when one player of a 53 man roster is eating that much salary cap I mean even like you know T Higgins and the Bengals are going to have a real negotiation right I think T is going to end up getting his money and they would love to pay him what he asked I think like their their GM said what what they were asked someone was asking about T and the GM said like you know everyone wants a wide receiver but go find your own right like we love T but the Bengals next year are going to be paying Joe Burrow Jamar Chase and T Higgins about 45% of their salary cap those those three guys that's really that's tough right because Now, I mean, obviously, running backs are sort of at the center of the conversation, honestly, because of fantasy football and people know who all these running backs are. But there are interior offensive linemen who get beat to shit 17 games a year. And they're I, I, like I've seen, you know, really smart football people make the argument that actually interior offensive linemen are probably underpaid even more dramatically than running backs based on. The, the amount of work they put in, how hard their job is, how uh, irreplaceable they are and stuff like that. But interior offensive linemen do not make wide receiver
1: money at all. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's another one. It's like the yeah, interior line. is like a, another position where teams feel like they get their surplus value from the quarterback and the receiver, and then they can plug and play the interior alignment and, Analytics ruined that.
2: football. Let's just be clear about it. <laughs> Analytics just ruined football. All these nerds who said running backs don't matter and you can't win unless you have this great quarterback. Like and nerds nerds ruined football. They they came for it, they got their revenge. The the nerds got their revenge on, on the jocks of like Derrick Henry and <laughs> Christian McCaffrey by by ruining the sport.
1: Yeah. But I mean if you're a GM though, like I I I kind of buy that argument. Like if, if I was gonna build a team I mean, if I was a GM, I would build a team out from like the the interior out, and then you gotta you gotta get lucky with getting a good quarterback. But like having an O line can help you win like seven games a year. Like just having a beast O line. Um. So yeah, I mean, if I yeah, if you're a GM, like you wanna you you're gonna try to hit a home run on a on a quarterback because you can't go far without one. And then you know you need to – it's a passing league now, so you need, you need weapons on the outside. And then if you're on defense, like, what's the best way to, to stop a really good offense is you got to sack the quarterback. So, like, you're going to invest in edge rushers. And then you know that the passing game is important, so you're going to get locked down corners. Like, I, I just – I get the argument. And it's, it's so tough for them to be in that position. to Like, they have a, they have a pool of money that they can use and it's limited and they got to like bargain or not bargain they got to um, negotiate against all these other teams that want their best players and so you're going to pay for the the best pieces or the the pieces that you feel like give you the best chance to win and that's i think how we ended up here with the the low the low pay for the running backs
0: It is is crazy, though, that this year for the draft was a little bit of a throwback with two running backs going in the top 15, because even a few years back when Jonathan Taylor was one of the better running back prospects we had seen in a long time and he went in the second round. And then this year you get Bijan and Jameer Gibbs going. It felt like, oh, man, we're kind of like back to those days where even a guy like Melvin Gordon, you know, is is in the first round, even way back when guys like Ryan Matthews. I don't know why the Chargers picks are on the top of my mind, but you used to just see way more second, third running backs going in the first round.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of that has to do with like a team really loves a guy and they're just not sure if another team loves them just as much. Yeah, And so where they rank him as a second or third round guy and they go, well, just in case someone has him as an early second rounder, we're going to just take him and yeah. then hope we hit on the receiver we're going to take in the second and third round or the corner. We're going to take in the second and third round. Um, yeah, it's all I, uh, it's all I game was- theory. It's, it's pretty interesting.
0: That dynamic you're describing, I think, is probably under discussed when back to Davis's point about all the nerds and the spreadsheets where we kind of look at these players in a very emotionless way of just like these are the numbers. This is his probably his upside scenario based on his profile where these teams do interviews with these guys. And this guy has Mm -hmm. a charismatic personality or they just love, you know, the presence he's exuding or how the interviews went. And they're like, we want this guy on our team. Like there's an element to that that I'm sure like is impossible for us outsiders. To like bake into their decision making.
1: Yeah, and that's another thing with like the value—the value of a player you might not see on the production side of the thing on the field, but like in the locker room or preparation and practice, like the third string quarterback that people are paying. Like pe- teams are paying like guaranteed money to third string quarterbacks, and it's just like those dudes don't play Sam a snap. Darnold, Some... Sam
2: Darnold got ten million dollars.
1: No, really, quarterback. I'd... Well, um and but you don't see what those dudes do behind the scenes in terms of preparation in the locker room like the third string quarterback is extremely important for just the starter if they can trust the guy in the room hey what do we what are we seeing on this on this red zone cut up like what do you see what concepts do we like this week like that guy the third string quarterback is like giving his opinion on on those things or i mean a good third string quarterback is so um and then i'd say yeah like for the running back position like me like I I'd, I'd go in every pretty much every week, watch film with Rashad, and we'd watch blitz cut ups and, and talk about what the, the defense is trying to do. Um, I'm not saying like I had a huge impact on, on last season, but like it helps to have more guys like that around the locker room. But you know, analytic, analytics isn't going to pick that up.
0: Right. Well, not to shift the conversation too much, but when we last talked to you, you had just got uh, engaged. I'm curious, like, what else have you been up to this summer other than training and getting uh, ready to get back into football shape?
1: You've been golfing? Um, golfing a little bit. Uh, still pretty bad. I actually, have, I had the round of my life, and I'm like it, – it's funny, but for people that golf, like, you know when you share, like, a crazy golf story, it's not bragging because you, you can also share that, like, typically I'll shoot, like, a – a 102 or a 98 like that's a typical round but i shot at 87 like legit 87 i was playing out of my mind that's fun everything off the tee was pretty much in the fairway i didn't lose one ball the whole round and then i was like man am i good at golf now and the next time i went out and played (laughs) i shot a shot a 102 or 104 or something i I just
2: played last weekend my very first round ever with one ball I played. I, I shot an eighty. I shot an eighty-six at a pretty nice course in St. Louis with one ball, and I was like, it's... I was on the I was on the eighteenth fairway, and the green was over some water, and I was like, <sighs> I gotta play this so safe, like I just yeah. because I I would be so mad to lose it on the last hole. But uh, you gotta take lessons, dude. You gotta take some lessons. Not, obviously, I not know. now, but California. I mean, you probably you probably can't spit without spitting on a golf instructor in California. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, there's a, a lot of those like virtual um, places are popping up where they have like a, a couple bays with screens and they have a couple um, coaches there. So my friend's been doing that and he's getting a lot better. So I need to sign up. It's just like I'm in the Los Angeles area and it's like you're either it's either like a club, a member only club or it's like a crappy club municipal course and so i haven't got to play a ton around here but like i'll go down i went down to like orange county um i played the arroyo Tribuco course the one that michael block you remember the guy that's the, oh, the pga pro yeah yeah he's the, i played that course and re- re- literally like, as we walk in the pro shop he pulls up in his truck walks in for a second and like my buddy and i were like hey congrats man nice, and then he like walked out so we just saw him for a second but that's a beautiful course so i got to go down there and play um, and then when I go up to like my hometown, I, I get to play a little bit cause the courses are easier to get on up there. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't get to play as much, actually, you know, out in, out in Tampa, there's, um, some good po- courses I bet. around. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty easy or easier to get on. There's just, a, there's a ton of courses in Florida.
2: Nice. Maybe you can go play with Baker.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure he's really good. Every quarterback is good at golf. Every
0: quarterback is good at golf.
1: Don't, didn't you have uh, a, a, what
0: you you had told us you were was this when we, you were with Miami was it with Jason Sanders you guys would be like chipping uh, in in the uh, the facilities?
1: Yeah, yeah. Jason's super nice at golf. He's like he can he can shoot like I think he's probably a couple sh- strokes above scratch. Like he's, he's really good. Oh, holy yeah, cow.
0: we need to get him in one of those uh, contests like uh, Curry and uh, and those guys did there. Uh, the yeah, you know who's really oh. good is
1: um the kicker match. Yeah. Oh yeah, the magic Ryan Suckup. I was just going to say so he's a, he was the kicker for the Bucks last year. Um he's a scratch golfer. He's yeah, he's really good and he's played in some like celebrity tournaments before. I think he's like won some.
0: Do you know what's interesting about that uh ESPN, you know they have their like daily shorts podcast, ESPN Daily or whatever. They did one uh, a couple weeks ago about the correlation between golf and three-point shooting and that they found uh, an element of that and I do think that the kicking thing kind of dovetails with that as well Very like similar. the precision how mental it is that's a really interesting kind of through line there
1: Oh yeah there's definitely a ton of a ton of crossover between the two things mentally and i feel like i mean obviously the kicking is not a part of the you know the golf i guess but like just the idea of like hey i'm going to shape the ball a certain way in these conditions.
2: It's the the ability to translate a physical action to space proprioception. Right. It's like, that's what, so like, I just, this is a very random example, but I was watching the MLS all-star game last night and they were playing against Arsenal, one of the best teams in the world from Europe. And like the Arsenal guys are not huffing and puffing. They're not, they're not physically like that much stronger or better or whatever, but their ability to understand space around them and manipulate it is on a level to that it's, it's, it's preternatural that it's not, it's not mm-hmm. something like that they're training it in themselves. It's just that they, it, it's just a part of their being. And I bet that's the same way. Cause like, like Steph Curry's a really good golfer, right. And he's not, his swing is kind of wonky. It's, it's not what you would say is like perfect, but he just, the dude understands like, it's like understanding physics on like a granular level, like it, like not even having to do the math, just understanding it
1: yeah there's definitely something to that. Uh, Somewhere- I was gonna ask you guys what what's going on in like the fantasy world with any any beefs going on between you guys and some fellow uh, fantasy prognosticators? Not any
0: good beefs. It did, I would say this is the summer of like really nerdy beefs because best ball has blown up and it's not a solved game by any means. We have such little data on it because it's a new format, relatively speaking. So there's lots of like data battles on like what's optimal to construct a team. How should you be trying to win these first place prizes? And am I am I missing any good beefs, Davis, beyond nerd beefs?
2: No, there's there's not there's not really any. Good beefs. Uh, I mean, have we done have we done a show together since our friend Pat won two million dollars?
0: I can't remember if we yeah. did that. Okay, I think because yeah. we did an early one, right? When like when did you get engaged, Laird?
1: Uh, January this year. So I think we did. Yeah. It, oh, okay. It so right we that. had just
2: done it. On, like honestly, that has sort of taken the the beef edge out because um, like the 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 sort of the thing in. Our, our very weird niche corner of the internet is like, oh, those those ship chasing guys, they they have all these ideas, but they never win anything. You know, it's like, uh and then well, if someone wins two million dollars, it's kinda it's kinda hard to say that the approach is flawed. Even if even if I don't know, maybe Koran's approach maybe he just got crazy lucky and the approach actually is flawed, but no one. What do you mean by
1: uh, you mean what do you mean by ship chasing like championship chasing? <laughs> no,
0: yes, that's 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 Peter's. That's good, look, that clip is going in the new intro for the show. No, that's another show <laughs> I do. Uh Davis is a regular guest and he's referencing my friend Pat who I've been doing shows with and drafting with for like 4 to 5 years. He won underdog's biggest tournament last year for 2 million. So like truly life-changing money and now we have this whole bit that we call chasing Coraine and it kind of Fogs davis and i's day-to-day life because we just are you know seething with jealousy that our friend won two million dollars and we didn't what it's, uh, hard, it's a hard life to live
1: what, what's he doing with the money is he investing it
0: He played it pretty conservative. Apparently his accountant told him he needs to play a ton of high stakes fantasy football this year. uh, (laughs) So he's doing some shot taking there. I know he's in all kinds of drafts. Um, But yeah, I I think he has some news that he needs to announce soon. It's not my news, but he launched his own uh, site as well, so he kind of left his day job doing the entrepreneur stuff, having a lot of success with that. And I, I think just generally living the life, you know. He, I haven't seen well, any posts from him lately, Davis. On legendary upside, I don't think he's working too hard.
2: Yeah, dude, dude, dude went to France. You know, he's eating, he's eating pastries along the River Seine. Like he's, he's, uh, he's enjoying himself. I mean, he's not, he's not, not working at all. But he's definitely working less and and enjoying himself as <laughs> as he should uh so you know one day one day maybe we'll get there maybe maybe uh two million dollars will slide this way and i'll be i'll be eating pastries along along uh, a french riviera
1: yeah well is. that's uh that's more than the average running back makes in the nfl <laughs> there you yes go. yeah, yeah. It, Wait, it's... explain the explain the best ball uh, uh format
0: Yeah. So it's, you know, like when you do your, you know, ESPN league or Yahoo league with your buddies, like, and you hit us up with who should I add on waivers, or maybe you don't hit us up because you didn't like how we helped you with your one draft that one year, but you got to manage that team throughout the year. You got to go set the starting lineup. You got to do the trades. You got to do the ad drops. Best ball takes all of that away. So you do the draft and then the computer optimizes your best starting lineup each week. And what that allowed you to do, if you don't have to pay the piper on actually managing it, you can draft quite literally an infinite amount of teams and have no additional work on the back end. So people like me and Davis and lots and lots of other people who love to draft but don't want to spend any time managing these teams, it's like a perfect marriage.
1: So it takes, like, it, it selects who, what tight end you're going to play. It doesn't take the best tight end score from that week that you drafted? No,
2: it does. It does exactly that. Oh, okay. so, if, so after the week is done, it takes your your best high-scoring quarterback your two highest scoring running backs, your three highest scoring wide receivers, highest scoring tight end, and that's your score for the week. You don't and you don't have. If someone gets hurt, tough luck. But there's no trades, there's no waivers. You draft it and and you're done. You don't have to. You don't have to look at it or think about it.
1: Okay. And so for my just traditional leagues this year, I'm in two leagues now. Unfortunately. Um, wow. Yeah. Big fantasy uh, guy. Yeah. Uh, who sh- who should I be looking to get? like value-wise that people might be overlooking that are just like average average fantasy fans? So I think one question. thing,
0: it's because like the, the, the app um, Underdog where I do most of my drafting, Davis does a ton of drafting there. It has the sharpest um, drafters on there. That's where there's the most volume. And so you can sometimes look at other platforms and see where players are much higher on Underdog than others. And I think that's generally like a good indication of where a player might be undervalued. Like a good one is, like underdog drafters, myself included, are very hype on Seattle rookie wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba um, just because okay. he's this insane prospect. And a I'm, lot of I'm people, not really Yeah, It's just Davis sip this takeout. Uh, but casuals like <laughs> Davis Maddock get worried about all the other competition. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. But the real ones know that by the end of the season, JSN is going to be scorching the earth. So you can probably get a nice discount on JSN. In okay. your home league. Yeah.
1: Any yeah. running backs you guys are looking at?
2: uh isaiah pacheco the chiefs guy assuming because so there was just the report that your old co-worker leonard fournette just found a new corporation to employ him sounds like he's probably gonna go play for the the patriots so that's a big domino to fall because if if it's just him it's him it's clyde and it's mckinnon who they don't they don't really want to play until the playoffs right they they sort of save him uh tony pollard is my favorite dude i mean he's not a sleeper, Mm -hmm. but. So yeah. I, I think my, my interpretation of this season with Tony Pollard signing the franchise tag is that they're about to give this dude like 330 touches until big, the, the Cowboys last season had 569 rushes as a team, which is the most in the NFL. And that, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe they do re-sign Zeke. And uh, Chuba Hubbard, Oklahoma State running back in Carolina, they, yeah. signed, Miles, they signed Miles Sanders to that contract. But Miles Sanders has always kind of been a timeshare back. And their other guy is Raheem Blackshear. I don't know if you know him, but he's like uh, yeah. he was like a- he was with
1: the Bills originally. and They drafted him, and yeah,
2: yeah, he was he was on their practice squad for a while. Very similar, actually. He, and then he played special teams too, kind of like kind of like you did. Um, but I think he I think Hubbard's pretty clearly second string, and Blackshear is third. So those are those are some big ones. And Kenneth Gainwell. Oh, I've, I actually wanted to ask you about this the DeAndre Swift thing. Because this was so interesting to me from a running back's perspective where he and his running back coach in Detroit clearly did not get along. And, like, no one would deny that DeAndre Swift is super talented, right? Like, obviously, mm-hmm. he's so fast. He's so, like, he can move so much. But he doesn't listen to his coaches. So they traded him. Like, how do you think that will be received in Philadelphia? Like, like knowing mm. what they traded for. Like, what type of running back room is he going to walk into knowing that's why he got traded?
1: Huh? I didn't. I didn't know the backstory on that. I was actually surprised when I saw that trade because they traded him and then drafted the first yeah, round guy, or they drafted the first a lot round of guy.
0: Similarities too stylistically to like. Yeah, their they game.
1: they drafted
2: Gibbs and then traded Swift the next day.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing that and thinking, "Oh, that's interesting," because you have a guy that you know is a really good running back, and can, you know could be an elite running back. And then you take a chance on a first round guy. Like if that first round pick doesn't work out, then that looks like a terrible trade. Um, So it makes sense that maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. I don't know. That's that's always tough. Like sometimes guys – or you see it a lot where a guy like is talented but just for whatever reason does not get along with the coaching staff, um, isn't playing up to their potential um, or believes they can have a bigger role than they currently have and they create some issues in the building and then they get sent somewhere else and they just have like an amazing year or amazing career. Um, so I mean, hopefully that happens with him. I don't, yeah, I don't, it's hard for me to like give an opinion cause I don't really know what went on behind the scenes, but like maybe just a fresh start will be, will be good for him. So would that be yeah. a good, good value play? Think, well, he was,
2: he was on, he was on hard knocks. And Deuce Staley would be like, dude, we need you to run inside. We need uh, you to get, you know, get your pad level up. Like, don't and and basically he just would never he would bounce everything outside. It's not, mm. it's not like him and his coaches were like getting in fist fights. It was basically just like that's not the way he prefers to run. He prefers to get uh, into the space and they and and they didn't want that. That's why they played Jamal Williams so much.
1: Yeah, it is it is tough when like a guy when you tell him, hey, run inside and he always wants to bounce. Like that's a hard thing for a running back to stop doing. But yeah, you never know. If like maybe the new offensive scheme will be good for him. He'll like he'll trust it. He'll trust it more. And it kind of Yeah, you never know. You never know with those situations.
0: It goes back to what we were saying, too, of how, like, I'm sure these coaches fall in love with players. And from us, from the outside, like we look at DeAndre Swift's profile, we see his combine numbers, we see his production, we see a few cut ups of him and like preseason or what he can do in a game. And you're like, this guy has everything to just be this you know, incredible upside talent. And then we're all trying to figure out why isn't it coming together? Why are the lions trading him? And then you have to peel it back and be like, something's happening behind the scenes, like his relationship with the coaches or his style, the things Davis is like hinting at there, because for us, I think that's the tough element to square these guys who have all the talent in the world. Kadarius Tony is probably another good example of this guy who, if he puts it all together, um, you know, on a per target basis, is just this incredible player but then is never out on the field enough to actually realize that and so i think for fantasy that's always what we struggle with because we want these upside guys to harness it to their full potential
1: yeah you'll yeah that reminds me of like just some situations i've seen like you'll see a guy that will make great plays explosive catch the ball get 20 yards whatever it is um and so you see you see those like from outside you see those great plays but then you don't see the other plays in the film room where he was supposed to run a flat route and then ran like an in or something and the flat route was supposed to hold the defender and then the quarterback doesn't have his read right like you know you're supposed to the, the running back's supposed to run flat to occupy the flat defender to open up the curl behind him but instead he ran something else or didn't get out on his route and it messes up the whole play and so that can stall a drive so there's like a balance of like, hey, this guy's super explosive and can get us a first down every five plays, but the other four, he's hurting the offense and dragging us down and he's ruining other stuff. I don't know if that's the case with Jandre Swift. I just know that's the case with some guys where they see, hey, we see this really from the outside, we see this really athletic, great explosive player, but they don't see the other plays where they're messing up some other concepts or they didn't pick up a blitz. Um you know, things like that. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's like hard to, it's hard to judge those things from the outside. If you don't under, if you don't know what the concept was supposed to be or what the play was supposed to be.
0: Yeah. Well, Laird, one thing before, uh, I don't want to get out of here without talking about our, we've had a couple challenges that have popped up that we've discussed on Twitter. Uh, It was back um, in the winter when I had just had uh, our kid and I was talking in my newsletter uh, about you know hacking together these prison workouts doing lots of body weight stuff and you recommended to me a 5 10 25 workout which i had never heard about which is basically mm-hmm. how many times you can complete a circuit of five pull-ups 10 push-ups and a quarter mile run in 30 minutes each one of those 5 10 25 represents one circuit you and i played a little coy with it i would say since you introduced me to it i've probably done it 10 or 11 times um oh wow I have like I have like a cat, like I basically do it once a week, um, just as like part of a, a routine and I'll reveal like what my training one is. And then I did go to a track to do it official. I brought a friend from the ship chasing community to time me. So I think, I think it's about time we reveal our five, 10, 25 numbers here, Laird.
1: Okay. Do, do we want to just say the number of laps or basically the number of like rounds we did? Yeah. Okay. At the same time?
0: So I'll I'll first I'll just tell you this my training one when I do it once a week I do the 30 minutes and I do uh, 10 rounds easily three minutes around that's not not a lift for me and my when I went and timed it on the track I was able to get 12 um, I 12, have okay. never sprinted the final lap as fast as I've ever sprinted in my life it was a, <laughs> uh, because I saw that I could get to 12 I thought 11 was my ceiling but I had an audience there and was pushing. And, uh, so 12 was my, my top and now I'm very, very curious what yours was.
1: Okay. Um, I didn't do it as much as you, but I ended up getting 14 when I went to the track oh, and did it. Shit. Yeah. I, and I got, I the, thought you
0: were going to be, I thought I was going to be one off from you. I thought you were going to get 13. God, 14 is insane.
2: So 14
0: laps a- around the track in 30 minutes.
1: Three so, and a half miles. Look my my average heart rate is 171 so I was kind of pushing it.
2: <laughs>
0: That's 171 is gnarly for a professional athlete. It's so funny Laird cuz my guess Dude. on what yours was when I like went all out and I was like this is like the highest range of my outcomes hitting 12 I was like I bet Laird's 13 because what people don't realize is then when you have to add an extra lap at that you're having to shave off like another 2 minutes at at, at least if you do like 90 second, 400, and then another 30 seconds for the pull up push up, you have to shave off two minutes from the rest of all those other ones to get an extra one in. So you getting 14 blows my mind, dude.
1: Yeah. I, so I'm just, I'm looking at my splits right now. So I did it on my watch. I could track my first split one, a minute and a half. That was probably too fast. I oh, was thinking, wow. I was like, maybe I'll go two minutes a lap, but yeah. I ended up slowing down in the middle. So like my strategy was I realized like instead of taking a break with, with the push ups and pull ups, I would get to the bar or I get to the bar and just start immediately doing pull ups and then immediately go into push ups. And then my rest was like on the first like half of the lap. So if I was gonna like slow down, it was gonna be while I was jogging or running. And then I'm- towards the end, once I had like 10 minutes left, I just got out and just started running running around the it's track so as funny. fast as I could. I had-
0: I had the same strategy, but I did it on the backside. So I walked, say, the last like tenth of the quarter mile to the pull-up bar in the push-up. Uh, so I used it as a relaxing because I would sprint the lap, and then instead of going the full quarter mile, stopping and catch my breath, I would stop early, walk, catch my breath with my hands over my head, and then the second I did the push-ups, pull-ups, I was off running with no break, and took the break on the back end.
1: Yeah, yeah, I. I didn't slow down at the to fit, like at the end of the lap. I would just like s- just start immediately step on the track and just start running around. And then like when I felt like I could like kind of pick it up, I just would start picking it up on the on the track. But I knew just if I like took a if I took ten seconds every time I stopped to pull do push ups or pull ups, like that would just add up really fast.
0: So it's a good workout. Back,
1: so the spread yeah. that people were saying online was kind of crazy. They're like, because like the difference between. What I I kind of forget what people said, but they're like, yeah, he'll beat you by like four.
0: Davis, laps I think, or said four. I think which is honestly fair. Like my baseline being 10, um, like that I can just do pretty easily. But a lot of people, I think we're just not doing the plain math on like a 400 meter run, like takes time. Like that at minimum is probably gonna take you a buck fifteen to a buck thirty, even if you're absolutely cooking. Um, so that was the thing I think people were struggling with, but what's so funny Laird is if I gave you a true line, what my true line was, is I thought you should have been minus one and a half laps. I would have lost money because I think I would have bet on myself to have gotten, if I got 12, I would have been like, I think Laird can get 13, but I don't think he can get 14, but based on everyone else's lines, like the two and a half, the three and a half, I definitely would have uh, covered that spread. The
2: man is a professional athlete. I would have bet on him. (laughs) I would have bet on, I would have bet on Pat, regardless of the line. You would have, but I, I'm saying you would have lost. Uh, yeah, your, I would your have. Spread.
0: Yeah.
1: But I'm not a, I'm not an endurance athlete though. Like what I have to train for, this is something I like to do like early in the off season. Like I haven't done this in months because I just don't think it's helpful for me. There's like no reason I should be running three what's and a half miles. What's your resting heart rate? Minutes.
2: Is it sub 40?
1: Uh, let me
2: see. Probably not. Probably not sub 40.
1: It's been I in bet. like the fort, yeah, forty eight. I was
2: gonna s was, was gonna guess forty seven. What about your VO two max? Do you know that?
1: Would that be on my watch?
2: Mm, uh, it would be on your watch, but probably it wouldn't be like super accurate. I bet I bet your VO two max is, is nutty because you do so much sprinting for football stuff. Like I bet your I bet your VO two max is probably in the fifties, which is gnarly. Like yeah. so that's really good.
1: My like resting heart rate is around like 45 like this past week. Yeah, dude. That's that's oh man. How do you Someday. test the VO2 max?
2: Well, your phone, your your watch can make a guess based off your respiration and your height and your weight, but to really do it, you would probably have to go into you I mean, your your strength and conditioning staff could do it for you. You have to run, you have to run with a respirator on.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that'd be interesting gotta, to see. I have no I have no idea.
2: You should you should do it. I mean, that's that's uh look, they you know, they can't take that information away from you after after you retire. Like it's it's good to know all that stuff just for like longevity in
0: general.
1: Yeah, I'd so be curious.
0: The other thing, Laird it now that I had done the five ten twenty-five a bunch, and I assume you feel similarly, like the whole part of the challenge is the the running part because like the pull-ups and the push-ups are like just completely negligible as far as it's just like stopping and in a way it kind of is like giving you a chance to catch your breath. I was thinking yeah. if you did like a 10, 20, 25 challenge, like if you g- doubled the pull-ups or the push-ups, that's where I think it really, because I wasn't gassed after doing five pull-ups, but if you got me to 10 pull-ups each round, I think I really start to feel those effects the rest of the way. Whereas for me, it's just the 400 meter basically pacing.
1: Yeah, that's the hard, the running is the hardest part. Yeah, if it was 10, I think after like round 5 or 6, I would have to drop from the pull-up bar. I'd probably shoot for 6 reps, drop, and then do four more and then bust out 20 push-ups for maybe I don't know, like 7-8 rounds and then after like the eighth round, I'd probably have to break up the pull the push-ups too. So that that would be interesting. I just you wouldn't you probably wouldn't get that many rounds done in 20, in 30 minutes.
0: No.
2: Pull ups the- are too hard for me. I, I have like a horrible form with them. Like, I can deadlift twice my body weight, but I can't do more than like three pull ups. It's
1: too hard. You should, uh, if, if you're struggling with pull ups, have you tried dead hangs?
2: Mm. Yeah, I can dead hang. I can dead hang. That, that's a Huberman thing, is like everyone yeah. should be able to dead hang for at least 60 seconds.
1: Yeah, I used to struggle with pull ups, and I used to just do 60 seconds every day of dead hangs, and it just like my pull ups just got so much better. I feel like a lot of people just don't – they don't go down all the way with pull-ups. And then they're weak. They're weakest at like the the most stressed position.
0: Yeah. Oh, that reminds me because the other thing – I should pull this up. Uh, there was – so Jason Strasser, who people in our communities know, he's a, a big, uh, I think, like he's equity been, options he's on, trader. He's been
2: on the cast
0: Oh, yeah. He's been on Davis's show. Let me pull this up because he had put this thing up on Twitter a while back. Why can't I get I, this?
2: I, I've this. I, Peter, that's so funny you said that because I went to go find this too. Because I, oh yeah, I, saying? this one is this one is. I think there is one answer that would be easiest for me,
0: and then one answer that would be easiest for everyone else in the world. So for the audio listeners here, Jason's tweet said, what's harder? Four sets of 10 pull-ups, no kipping. That's like a, a CrossFit thing where you're using momentum to like help you. 6'10 uh, mile on a track, bench 225 once. Jason's saying, I can't do any of these, um, but he's richer than all of us, so it's okay. Um, so I was very curious to see, Laird, and when you revealed yours, what shocked me, I was super impressed by your mile, and I actually was thought you would be able to bench 225 more than six times.
1: Really? I, yeah, because I not i
0: optimizing you, for that.
1: Yeah. Well, I told you guys before, like since I got I got a shoulder. So I broke my collarbone my last game of my college career. And then I hurt my shoulder my rookie year. Nothing that like kept me out. It's just kind of like been this lingering thing. So I haven't been able to bench more than two twenty-five since my senior year of college. And this offseason is the first time I've benched two twenty-five since college. Wow, okay. Yeah. So I've just been starting to get like the last like year and a half that my shoulder strength has started to come back and so like I just I was surprised I did it six times I was just feeling good that day yeah um, but yeah I knew the mile and the pull-ups I could do easily I was like I was kind of unsure about the 225 thing so I was happy I was happy with the six times
0: yeah I uh, I wish I would have done this right when I had been doing all the training for the 510 uh, 25 because I was in the best and then I had a little dip there I did uh, 611 mile 225 by three. And, uh, four by 10 pull-ups, the pull-ups are the easiest of all of these for me. Cause I've just been doing those a ton. I think, I think I could get up my two twenty five in and my mile down under, under six, but they are like Davis was saying, they're optimizing for really different, uh, things, but it, this kind of stuff lends itself to how I train, which is a lot of like functional training hit stuff, like trying to still have good cardio versus strength and trying to kind of like have my cake and eat it too with a lot of stuff
1: yeah
2: i'm like in the inverse order of you guys for optimizing for training so like i could get to 225 like if i i don't know like if i took like uh one one cycle of of testosterone i could do it i've gotten to (laughs) i've gotten to i've done 205 twice and then just it's like a mental thing like i can move 225 pounds with my arms like i do it on the the incline press with where it's all there it's just the mental block of doing it and i can run at a six mile pace no problem i just can't obviously i cannot sustain it for an entire mile or or to me that would be like freaky to be able to do so i could get i could get there with i think probably a month of like actually like cardio training instead of just like incline walking which is really what i do But then the pull-ups I feel like would just be impossible for me because I'm so the opposite of training functionally. Like I'm doing all like bodybuilding type exercises pretty much. So like all the, all, uh, you know, kettlebell stuff or whatever, like I don't do any of that. So, so I just would be worse at that. It would take me longer to get there.
1: This, these challenges that made me think like, what's, what's like a set of like five to 10 physical things I could do in one day that no one else could do in the world. Like there's like a, like is there a like a five or ten if you, different if you start adding people.
2: skilled stuff in there like if you made it uh, make a make a par on a par three um, knock over an NFL safety you know uh, <laughs> like something like that it's like you you there are there are a permutation of those things that truly only Patrick Laird could do no doubt well I,
1: I was thinking I was thinking kick flip, because I, I can kickflip wow backflip back like run a mile in six minutes, bench 225 or something, and then like squat 315, like How 20 times would it or something. Be-
0: if there was like an actual database and obviously it would be impossible for this to exist. And you could like filter base that. And then you see like, okay, there's um, you know, 1 million people in the world who can run a sub six mile. And then you add this and it goes down to a hundred thousand and then it's down to, 10, yeah. And then you keep adding some you're like, no, I have the only person in the world only person- who could do exactly. All- well, it kind of goes back to, to like how some players, right? Like optimize and train for specific combine things. Like you see a guy like JSN, right. Who just absolutely annihilated the agility. The drug, and he knew that was going to be how his bread got buttered and then waited to do, I think the 40 until his pro day didn't do it. And and then,
2: and then Bryce Young was like, all I'm going to do is eat. All I'm going to do after, after my college career is done is I'm going to eat and then do no other drills. Uh, I'm just going to take it easy
1: for two months. What do you end up getting? What did that guy get on the uh, agility thing? On the agility drill?
2: Oh, it was, it was like almost the record I think for, for the whole times. Um, mine was like three three
1: eight yours yours was really good it wasn't
2: no yours was really good there's
1: people definitely have like three sevens which uh
0: he was so this is the jsn uh what which one were we looking at
1: the shuttle three nine three
0: nine three
1: no, he probably did better. If it was like elite, he probably did better than that. So he was he was
2: three nine three, but his three cone was six point five, and then you add those two numbers together, and that's what. Mm, gives oh, you...
1: six, yeah, six five three cone is that's really elite. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Oh, sorry, my twenty yard shuttle. No, my my three cone was six nine. Nice.
0: But
1: his his three cone was six six five seven is crazy. That's that's yeah. crazy. Anything under seven, they say is good, but to go six five seven, that's that's elite.
0: And how much of that do you – because obviously there's inherent athleticism and skill, but how much of that do you think you could shave off just by training that deal and optimizing for the best possible three-cone time?
1: I think there's – yeah, practice will definitely help, but at a certain point, like your change of direction, it's going to be a good measure of like your change of direction and like body control going in and out of cuts. Mm -hmm. Um, A guy could probably start training like a 7-4 and get down to like a – with no other like training, get down to like a seven oh with practice. Mm. But a seven four guy is not gonna get down to like six eight without right. actually getting better at change of direction and being like more athletic.
0: Well, and it's like anything too. When you're getting up to the upper limits of what the human body can do, like it would be fairly easy for me to shave 15 seconds off my mile time with like a month of training. But then you ask, you know, uh, an Olympic miler, you know, like they could maybe get like one second shaved off would be like just the peak of their career. It's just insane right. how those margins get so tight. Right. Um. Patrick, uh, super uh, stoked for you this season, heading into uh, another year of NFL action. Always love uh, getting together with you here, Davis. Any any final words before we get out of here?
2: Uh, we didn't talk. Give me give me the best book you've read since the last time. Oh yeah, we talked,
1: Pat. Oh okay. Um, my books have been kind of like hit or miss. I think I'm only done like. 10 or so this year. I got my list pulled up. Um, did I tell you, did last time we talked about it, the Benjamin Franklin biography?
0: Hey, you mentioned that yeah. one. Yes.
1: Yeah. So that's like probably my favorite nonfiction I read this year. Um, if you guys are looking for like a good uh, fiction book, I, I, I've i read like a couple like mystery thrillers this year. Mm. Um, but my favorite one is called Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone by benjamin stevenson he's a australian author
2: i do love and it's a like murder mystery
1: yeah yeah so it's a murder mystery but it's kind of it's very like meta where the narrator is a author that writes books on how to write murder mysteries oh, but then he cool. finds he finds himself in a situation where he has to solve a murder mystery and so it's Have called everyone in my family raymond has chandler killed someone book what is it
2: raymond chandler
1: no, I don't think so. He like
2: he wrote like a bu- like He's all the- these like nineteen forties LA like hard boiled yeah. noir fiction. I read I read all his books in like the last year. They're they're okay. Lovely. they're you- that's my best murder mystery ever, for sure.
1: So my my second favorite murder mystery one I did this year is called Everybody Knows by Jordan Harper. And that's a like a crime noir book set yes. in LA yeah and so i'm living in los angeles and like have like i kind of like knew a lot of the places that he was talking about it's so, good. so that was that was a that was a good one
0: i okay those are always fun too when you know the like location of a of a book like i always when i uh after i did my europe trip i like loved reading books about any of the places i had uh visited my i haven't gotten to do a ton of uh reading lately the one i finished recently is the wager by david gran he is the guy who did like the lost city of z and he's done a lot of like kind of adventure type nonfiction, historical nonfiction, and it's getting turned into a movie um with scorsese and leonardo dicaprio and he had also wrote another Mm -hmm. movie that they have coming out flowers of the uh the sun moon which is also having scorsese and uh and leonardo dicaprio about um uh indians uh back in the day too so he i i highly recommend that one it's about a british warship that gets abandoned and basically the fallout of all the men on this ship uh in the 1700s
1: that sounds good okay. i'm definitely gonna check that one out because i love yeah. love uh leo every movie he's in i watch yeah
2: that movie, number one be good. number one book i'm touting right now is outlive by peter Atia. It's like, it's sort of like my, it's sort of like my Bible of, uh, do you, do you know Peter Itia? Do you know who that is?
1: I'm just, I'm so annoyed with all these live forever dudes online.
2: <laughs> no, no. So that's legit, right? Like the, the guy who claims to have like reversed his aging and like blood swaps with his son, Brian, Brian Johnson. Um, that's totally yeah. legit. Peter Itia is a, is a medical doctor who still practices, who still sees patients note was a was a, a surgeon at john hopkins like this is not this is not a, a longevity bro who like started uh, a greens powder company and thinks he has the secret it's it's all very legit it's I, and i've read all this i i know bad health and fitness stuff right because i i i read all of it this is this to me it's the gold standard of if if you're actually if it's something you're interested in, and you do want to live longer, and you want to know what what stops you from living longer, and what's preventable and what isn't, that is, it's my number one. I, I'm I'm just I'm giving it out as gifts and stuff too, because like, it's it's legit. It's it's very good. So that's my. All right. That's maybe that'll
0: yeah. Maybe maybe I'll send you a copy, Pat.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna start with the wager.
0: It, the uh, Lair Lair just he he doesn't need to read a book about it. You know he's living his life out here doing 14 laps, 5, 10, 25. So I think he's he's on his tra- he's, a, he's on the trajectory yeah. to live live forever. You're doing all the right things.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm op, I'm optimizing enjoying every day.
0: I love it. It's a great, it's a great way to yeah, live. <laughs> if, if that would, um, if we didn't live in an SEO clickbait era, I could put that as the title of this optimized to, uh, to, to enjoy every day. But you know, we'll have to do something more salacious than that to get people to click this pat, like, uh, Patrick Laird threatens to hold out this season, you know?
1: Okay. <laughs> Just <kidding>. I wouldn't <laughs> do that
0: to you. I wouldn't do that to you. Um, anything else you, uh, you'd like to, to plug here, uh, before we head out?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. Enjoy talking to you guys. Everybody follow uh, Davis and Peter on, on social media. Listen to the Take Cast. Listen to, uh, what was the other one? Ship Under, Chasing. Uh, ship Chasing.
0: Yeah, thank you for all the uh, all the plugs. What about your, have you been doing your, your reading uh, club again?
1: Oh yeah, so if anybody in the Bay Area wants to earn some tickets to some Cal football games, you can sign up for the Cal Bears Reading Challenge. Just put it in Google and sign up and get your kids to read.
0: There you go. I'll drop the link down down below Davis for anything for the take cast listeners.
2: No, nothing, nothing special. Come actually, I, we, I have a pretty cool show coming up, uh, in, in two weeks, but I can't talk about it yet, but it's going to be, it's, it's a, it's a version of the, of the episodes that people really like the nerds really like these
0: okay all right is it tuned. is it peter is peter atia coming on oh my
2: god can you imagine if one of these longevity bros actually came on the show with me it would be like six hours of me being like talking about b vitamins with
0: them come on davis you could you could get a guy like atia i don't think you could get huberman at this point but you could probably get atia
2: i've i mean anyone i've said i want on the program i have i have reached out to in one way or the other right like i yeah. i've i've made i haven't been like beating down the doors of like their publicist but like i've started to try and do it and pod like you would not think about it but people who host a very successful podcast are i mean they're they're those are famous people now in in our our day and age like they they really are like it's hard it's hard to get 45 minutes of someone that big's time
0: yeah just because there's a million people asking them for 45 minutes of that time which is why we so much appreciate our nfl athlete friend patrick laird giving us Uh, More than 45 minutes of his time. We appreciate you, Patrick. Good luck this season. We'll be rooting for you. We need to see you on the field, finding the end zone for Davis. I'm Pete, Patrick Lair.